The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, some years ago, 35 plus years ago, I picked up a little book. Uh, it was hardly more than a pamphlet, and it was a book by Alan Watts, and the, the name of it was This Is It. This Is It. And I remember being so intrigued by that name. This Is It. Whoa, I said, okay. Philosophically, psychologically, emotionally, I am ready for it, right? I'm, I'm going to find out what it is. Now, fortunately for all of us, I long ago misplaced this book, and I have no idea what's in it. But it came to mind because there were two sources of inspiration for me this week around meditation and why. Why are we doing, why are we doing this? And one of them was a talk that Gil gave yesterday. It was just a little short talk on um, the practice of being in the moment as a, a reference point rather, rather than an end in itself. You know, when we talk about mindfulness and mindfulness meditation, there's a lot of talk, especially by someone like me, that the real value is being in the moment, being here in this moment. And it occurred to me when I was listening to Gil talk about how easy it is to become attached to the idea that this moment is it. This is it. That it's a lot like that book, This Is It. And it can be quite misleading because what's important about being in the moment has to relate to what's going on with us. And what's going on with us may be a rising and falling away every moment, but it does seem a little continuous, right? You know, this moment's not totally unrelated to this moment. And when we do mindfulness meditation, one of the things that we do is we try to pay very close attention to just what's happening. Just, just this. We're not trying to make it into something. So if we're not trying to make it into something, what is it? What is it? So, so what Gil said is, remember that the real purpose of mindfulness and being in the moment is to not be stuck you don't want to be stuck in what happened yesterday, in the memories of the past. And you don't want to be stuck in planning and imagining what the future is and deciding what the future is. That the real value of the present moment is not getting stuck. So you don't want to get stuck in the present moment either. It's a little subtle, but actually quite true. So the other thing that's happening is uh, some of you may know that on... Audio Dharma, which is where all our talks are recorded, we have an annual course that we do, which is an introduction to mindfulness meditation. And people sign up from all over the world. And the lucky first, I don't know, 100 people get to have a mentor assigned to them. And they get a half an hour of talk a week, one-on-one -on -one conversation about how the course is going for the duration of the course. Well, the course started this week. And I have a number of people that I am mentoring. And I was kind of surprised by the number of them who said, so would you tell me what, what good has this done for you? What have you gained from mindfulness meditation? Why are you still doing it after so many years? And by the way, how long is it going to take me to get there? It, it wasn't how long do I practice. It's, it was more, when am I going to see results here? How am I going to know this is doing me any good? Which is actually a very valid question, you know. But it kind of begs the question of what kind of changes are you looking for? What, what do you expect, what do we expect out of meditation? And it's caused me to sort of look at that again and say, okay, so... So what am I looking for? How do I know it's doing me any good? People ask you these questions. You have to sort of think about the answers. So 
It's really a great question. What are we hoping for? Why are we doing this? No matter how many years we've been doing it, we still have to decide to do it. We still have to decide to sit down and meditate. We still have to decide to adopt mindfulness. So a lot of people have this idea that if I meditate, I'm going to be a better person. Somehow I'm going to be better. And of course, then somebody like me sits up here and says, oh, no, no, it's not about becoming a better person. (laughs) But in fact, I took up meditation because I could see there was something wrong in my life. And I wanted to change that. So partly, taking up meditation is embracing the opportunity of changing, we hope, in a positive way. So people do it for different reasons. They have, there's a spiritual path. They want to be relaxed. You know, if I, if I, uh, if I meditate, I'm not going to be so stressed. Um, it might be that I want my relationships to be better. I want to find the meaning of life. I want peace. And we all have kind of different reasons for why we come into this. So I, I've put them in kind of main categories. So there's the physical thing. There's the mental, psychological enhancement or uh, ease and well-being. There's the spiritual path where we're looking for some kind of transcendence from being bogged down in life. There's the enlivenment that can occur when we really inhabit our life, when we're present for more of our life, when we're experiencing life to the fullest. But one of my favorites is gaining equanimity. And what I mean by that is the ability to both rise above all the skirmishes and difficulties in our life and also to rebound from them when we are affected by them, to to develop resiliency. And we can do that through mindfulness if we're paying attention to the right thing. So... You know, the the thing about mindfulness is there's always an object and there's awareness of the object. So you have to choose the object. It's what are you going to pay attention to? How are you going to pay attention to it? How determined are you? (laughs) One of the things that we want to be able to do by mindfulness is to be able to discern when things are happening automatically or when it's a matter of noticing that, oh, this is just a mind habit. I do this all the time. I have a tendency to do this all the time. This is something we can discover in, in mindfulness. So there's, there is a, a quality of mindfulness that has to do with curiosity of what's happening. So you're not, not looking for something in particular to happen, but what is happening? You're asking what is happening. Being in touch with our intentions is important. It occurred to me that if we don't have an intention, mindfulness can kind of lose its way. We don't have a place that we're, we're operating from. You know, my intention is to be present, or my intention is to be open to experience, or my intention is to be relaxed. My intention is to be someone that people want to be around. When we, when we think about these intentions, when we have these intentions, then we choose the object of mindfulness in a way that allows us to see what's important for that. They're, they're really directly related. You know, one of the things we find when we first sit down to meditate is you know, the mind goes all over and it goes away and it comes back and we become aware of the fact that most of our thinking is, in fact, rudderless. It has no direction. Just we're hearing the same stories, the same old stories, some of the new stories. We're planning. How many times do I have to plan the trip to the store? How many times do I plan my route to work? I mean, really. But we do this. How many times do I have to rehash that conversation so that it has a better outcome than it had when it's far too late for that. It's already done. 
how can we bring our mind in to be more efficient in effect? Mindfulness is about disciplining the mind to be directed and not just random. Okay, so that's one of the things we do. So these goals are a little more ephemeral. They're not as simple as, well, I want to be happy. <laughs> I want to be better in my relationship. They're, they're really about the quality of how we're being mindful. What is it that we want from mindfulness? One of the goals that is useful is to be able to create a little space between the experience I'm having and the response I have to it. So when we train our minds to sit and and we're following the breath, we sit in meditation and we're following the breath, and we notice the in-breath and the out-breath and the in-breath and the out-breath. And the next thing we know, we're thinking about something else. And we gently bring it back to the breath. And in that interval, we're thinking, what was going on? What was going on? <laughs> and depending on how we meet that moment of realizing we've left our breath, we can either treat it as a great fa- failing Or we can treat it as a celebration because the moment when you notice you're gone is when you're back. You're actually back. I'm here, and I'm in the room, and I'm here in this moment. So it turns out, the way that all of this relates back to Gil's point about not becoming too attached to being in this moment is that a lot of the benefits of mindfulness practice arise out of reflecting on what you discover when you're being mindful. That there's a certain, certain amount of thinking about this is what's happening. So when we notice in this moment that this is what's happening, it's a moment that we catch. And we're, we're actually, right at this moment, we see something very clearly. Maybe I see, let me take an example. Um, There's a loud noise. I notice the loud noise. Bang! And the first thing I do is I want to know, what's the noise? Am I safe? Do I have to do something about it? The mind quickly goes off into the cognitive world, the conceptual world around the noise. And if I'm being very mindful, I remind myself it's just a sound And I come back and say, just a sound, and I come back to my breath. Sometimes coming back to the breath is more appropriate, and sometimes that loud noise requires something on our part. How do we tell the difference? And in that moment, we're trying to make a discernment about that noise. That noise is something I have to deal with or something I not don't have to deal with. And in that moment, I get to notice I'm somebody who has to fix things. I have to do something about this noise. So then you can ask yourself, let's take, let's say the noise is a baby's cry. And you happen to be a father or a mother. There's a very automatic response of, I have to do something about this cry. And you forget that you have a partner who said, I'll take care of the baby, you go meditate. This is an example here. It could be anything. But you you have a moment of noticing, when when you hear that noise, you have a moment of noticing, what's your first impulse? What do you want to do about it? Do you need to do anything about it? Can you just be there with it? Can you just sit? Oh, the mind wants to do that. You can see that. This is the source of insight. When you see what your mind habits are, can you stay in the present space when that happens? Do you have a responsibility? Is responsibility an auto-response? Oh, oh. When we stop in that moment, we have a moment of seeing clearly what is the mind wanting to do. And we have a moment of choosing. We get to choose whether we allow the mind to go off 
or whether we decide to stay here and go back to the breath. Now, all of this is happening very fast, but it is somewhat dependent on this moment, on being here with this moment. Now, there are limitations of mindfulness, of course. How many things can you be mindful of at once? All right, so I'm sitting here. I'm mindful that my leg has gotten tight. I'm mindful of where my hands are. I hear my voice. I'm mindful that I'm trying to communicate something and I have to pay attention to what I'm going to say. But I'm actually fast switching between all of those things. You can't keep track of everything. So where you place your attention has something to do with what you're going to see and what you're going to experience. It also has something to do with what are the conditions that you're setting up for what you're going to see. Just as an intention will direct you to what you want to look for, an inclination or a mind habit is going to determine what you're going to look for, and you still have choices. You can say, that hurts, I don't want to deal with that. We can't be mindful all the time. In truth, we can't stay in this moment all the time because we have to be able to drive somewhere. We have to be able to do our jobs. We have to be able to fix food. We have to be able to take care of our bodies. And these require us to be present for the moment and also to plan what we're going to do the next time, the next moment. So at some points, planning is actually an important part of being alive. So it isn't that planning is bad. And if we are always in this moment, it may be because we're trying to avoid the moment that just passed or the moment that is coming up. So I'm sure you've experienced that, where you know something's about to happen and you say, well, I don't really want to deal with the fact that that person is coming to see me and so I'm going to, I'm just going to be in the moment. (laughs) And it's really an escape from what is uncomfortable. And then we have the opportunity to notice, oh, this is uncomfortable, and I'm not sure what to do with the fact that I'm uncomfortable. There's also a case to be made for the piece of curiosity that says, In order to be available for anything that arises, I have to basically be curious. I have to not want things a certain way. I have to be willing for things to be slightly different. There's there's an element of being vulnerable. In, In this moment, I don't know what's going to happen next. Oh, am I really willing to notice that? You see, we can avoid noticing things we don't want to notice. I spoke with someone this afternoon who told me he was having very great difficulty meditating because he gets, as soon as he sits down to meditate, he shakes all over. He just is overwhelmed with the energy. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. What would that be like? So I said, well, you know, don't try to make it any different. Don't try to be still. Just really pay attention to that energy. And he said, really? I can do that? Well, yeah. Yeah, find out what, find out what it does. Let it happen. That piece of curiosity is a very important part of mindfulness. The willingness to just see what happens. It is in this moment But it's coming from over here and it's going there. And we don't know either of those things, really. We just know this. It's kind of important to be able to see mindfulness as a tool to distinguish between the raw experience and the conceptual awareness of the experience. So if we we take the sound, for example... The baby cries. When we identify the cry as a baby's cry, all kinds of things get set up. When we just pay attention to it as sound waves reaching our ears, 
we have a very different response to it. Now we're more interested in the frequency. Is it sharp? Is it smooth? Is it soft? It's a very different experience based on whether we are treating it as a person or whether we're treating it as a sound wave. And that's a conceptual awareness and to notice the difference. So, so when you sit down to meditate, it's usually very useful to be in a quiet place so that you have so few distractions. So then we assume every noise is a distraction. Depends on what we see. And in seeing, at this point I'm talking about hearing, what are we hearing? Are we just hearing or are we hearing something? When we are hearing something, we see different reactions. So our understanding of what's happening changes based on that. Does this make any sense? So, so that what we're mindful of can be the conceptual change that's occurring or it can just be the insult to our ear, the impact on our ear. Part of the value of mindfulness is noticing things that we don't normally notice. So one of those things might be our own goodness. When was the last thing, last time you looked for your own goodness? Maybe never. Maybe seldom. Oh, what's the resistance to that? Why would I be resistant to that? Maybe it doesn't exist. What are you open to? What are you open to? A common thread in in my teaching especially has to do with the value of being in the present moment. I hope that I don't give the impression that that's all there is to it because the present moment is really just a place in between other moments. There's this moment and then there's this moment and then there's this moment. And the way I see it is it's an opportunity not to be controlled by what came before or what's coming in the future. So it's a way to step out of the streaming thoughts of our lives. It's a way to just stop. Of course, we can't stop forever, just as we can't stop breathing. No, consequences are dire. So, the value is in being able to look at this moment and see just this moment clearly. It becomes a kind of uh, turning point. It becomes a place where I can, when the wheel stops spinning, I can see the color. Oh, that. And then I let the next moment occur, whatever that is. And maybe I'm attached to that moment, too. I'm looking at that moment, too. Or maybe I'm just saying, okay, that was enough of a stop. Now I can see I'm actually doing this. I'm actually pursuing that. I'm actually looking at that. And I have a choice whether I want to continue looking at that or not. I have a choice of whether to go back to the fantasy or to stay with my breath. I have a choice of where am I following my breath. Or I could just let it happen and gleefully not notice anything and become very calm and relaxed because of the rhythm of following my breath, but I'm not particularly mindful. So mindfulness has a sense of a a continuing, but not continuous, awareness. It's built up of a lot of moments, and there are moments in between other moments. It's not static. It's always arising and coming down. So, so how are we meeting this moment? You know, are, we, are we wrestling it to the ground? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out everything I can about this moment and this moment. 
Or are we meeting it with ease and curiosity? Just, oh, this. Are we paying attention to the fact that things are arising, falling all the time? Are we kind of clued into that impermanence? Or is it all happening so fast that we just miss it? It's just missing it. And by the way, how long is the present moment? Anybody have an idea? <laughs> In fact, how long is a thought? What is a present moment? What's time? There's a, there's a stopping that happens, but it isn't something that we measure, that we, we say, okay, this, this, is, this is how I know this is it. No. It's whatever we notice. There's a kind of what's arising in this moment. What is it? When I first took up bird watching, which I did also many years ago, I would watch something fly in a tree, and then I'd have my bird guide, and I would look it up, and I'd check out all the characteristics, and I would learn, you know, no, that's not a titmouse, it's a chickadee. I would compare it to all of the things that I knew, and I would say, that's what it is. Now, I can tell the difference between a titmouse and a chickadee now, and I don't need the bird guide. But there are lots of birds in the world where I need the bird guide, assuming I can still see them, which is a different issue. But what the the paying close attention does is allow me to discern the difference. It doesn't allow me to say, it doesn't encourage me to say, a titmouse is better than a chickadee, only that I can distinguish them. Mindfulness allows us to distinguish between things that are occurring and ideas that are arising. What I noticed when I took up bird watching is that I noticed a lot more about my environment. In searching out this bird and trying to tell whether it wagged its tail or it had a stripe over the eye or exactly what the shape of its bill was, I began to notice more about the tree that it was in. And I noticed more about the flowers that were out there. And it wasn't just a yellow color, it was a particular flower. So the more I looked at one thing, the more I noticed about everything. And it all became richer for me. So in a way, with mindfulness, it doesn't matter too much what you're looking at. Because what you're doing is increasing your ability to notice, period. To notice. What you're noticing may only be happening in this moment. But there are a lot of them, and they're pretty much strung together. Seeing the detail is not so important. It's not better than not seeing the detail. Sometimes it's better to see a broad scope, and sometimes seeing something very particular is important. So it's not about being a certain way. It's about noticing and being here for noticing it. Having some awareness. Being able to separate what came from before and what's here now. Because that distinction is what gives us a choice. It gives us the texture of now. So... I'm going to read a a poem by Jane Hirschfield, and it's called The Decision. And what I like about this poem is it really tries to identify, maybe this wasn't her choice, actually. The title of the poem is Decision. What it does for me is highlight what a moment of decision is about. So let me just read it. There is a moment before a shape hardens, a color sets, before the fixative or heat of kiln, the letter still might be taken from the mailbox, the hand held back by the elbow, the word kept between the larynx pulse and the amplifying drum skin of the room's air, 
The thorax of an ant is not so narrow. The green coat on old copper weighs more. Yet something slips through it, looks around, sets out in the new direction for other lands. Not into exile, not into hope, simply changed. A sandy track rut changes when called a silk road. It cannot be after turned back from. Okay. The letter might still be taken from the mailbox. The hand might still be held back by the elbow. The thorax of an ant is not so narrow. This is really looking at what is this moment in between moments. This moment, in this case, when a decision is made. This moment when we really notice clearly what's happening. Oh, this is what's happening. Oh, I'm actually afraid. Oh, wow. It's fear that's here. It's not anger, it's fear. Oh, oh, well, I can react very differently to fear. Right? The hope is that we see without expectations in that moment of stopping. That moment just between. The thorax of an ant is not as narrow. The green coat on old copper weighs more. Yet something slips through it, looks around, and sets out in the new direction for other lands. The insight just slips in, and the direction is changed. The conditions for the next moment are changed. The conditions for our life are constantly being formed, reformed, changing, falling away. When we're really mindful, we see this happening. Oh, oh, it's just changed. I I noticed this afternoon, I walked into the kitchen, and I noticed I was just agitated, just agitated. I was filled with a feeling of I want it to be different. I didn't even know. I couldn't put my finger on this was wrong or this is what I want to have happen. Just general dissatisfaction, just... And I said, wow, that's interesting. And then it changed. It's not like I suddenly got better. But the energy around it just changed, and it kind of dissipated. And I realized I was just... It was just a moment. Oh, so there's, there's a moment of being between what I was experiencing as agitation and whatever is about to happen when I could see clearly I was just agitated. And it was separated from having to do something about it. You know, do something about the agitation. Accept it. Push it away. Whatever it is you think you have to do about it, that moment of just seeing it separate from everything that came around it is a very mindful moment, but it's no better than the moment that came before or the moment that came after. It's just what we see. And in that moment, there's an opportunity to see, for me, what I saw was, oh, general dissatisfaction here, but it's about to change. Now that but it's about to change came out of a reflection on how important is this agitation. You know, nobody's coming in the door, nobody's beating on the door, the phone's not ringing, the, the, the oven isn't sending smoke out. You know, nothing really terrible is happening. This is just agitation. And so I can see it and say, oh, just agitation. But I might have just kept worrying that agitation holding on to that agitation, trying to figure out what it was about, and changed the conditions for everything that followed. Does that make sense? Do you see this? this the, uh, that we, we create our conditions by what we see when we look at what's happening. And seeing clearly what's happening allows us to step outside the normal running patterns of the stream of our thoughts.
allows us to allow those the, to see an impulse arise and pass away. We don't have to be on retreat for this to happen. We just have to get used to noticing what's really happening, what's really going on. Doing nothing is a choice. So, while I look at this moment, what I can do is try to decide whether this moment is consistent with my intentions. Is it related to my intentions? Do I care what's happening in this moment? Not everything is of equal importance in life. It's just a thing. I can ask myself, is my mind wrapped up in hostility? Excuse me, in hostility or gentleness? Where is my mind here in the midst of this, whatever is happening? What's appropriate for this moment? What are the conditions of this moment? This requires a certain amount of reflection. Reflection, by its very nature, is not something that happens momentarily, however long a moment is. Reflection occurs over several moments. And it's an important part of mindfulness, being able to reflect on what do I see? How does this relate to my intentions? What are the conditions around me? Is this the time to respond with great honesty? Maybe not. Maybe another time is better (laughs) if I notice the other person is agitated like me. Maybe honesty needs to be saved for a little later. Not to be replaced by dishonesty, but just, is this the right time? Are these conditions right? Is what I'm about to say really true, or is it a response to my own stress that I'm feeling threatened and I'm going to defend myself? All of these things involve reflection. But the first thing that happens is we stop. We're not carried in the stream. We step out of the stream just for a moment so that we can see clearly what's happening. Not into exile, not into hope, simply changed, as Jane would say. We can't change the past, but we can learn from it by reflection. We can resolve to be more skillful next time. We can be so aware of what's happening that the next time we notice it sooner. It's a, it's a process. So the connection between mindfulness and the present moment has to do with our way in the world. It's how we apply it when we get up off the cushion. We practice meditation on the cushion and at other moments just to bring ourselves here. Uh, I was thinking today about uh, what characterizes confusion. And confusion is kind of what happens at the intersection of Mindfulness and unexpectedness. Wait a minute, that's not what's supposed to be happening. When you see something and it just doesn't feel quite right, well, there's confusion. I don't necessarily have to sort it out, but I need to recognize that it's confusion. Oh, it's confusion. I get it. Okay. Hmm, I must have been expecting something else. If we think about this moment as simply a way station, not the end, this moment is just a way station where we step off the train just for a moment so we can see what's happening and then we can move on. We reflect, 
We choose, we set conditions for what's going to happen. And we say, okay, I'm back on the train. Not the runaway train. The train where we're just kind of paying attention to what's happening. So those are my thoughts. Uh, I would be interested in hearing what you think about this, whether it resonates with you at all, the relationship between mindfulness and this moment, and how we can use it to be present for what's happening without holding on to this moment, without requiring ourselves to get a certain way, to be a certain way, to achieve a certain status. The answer to how long is this going to take is related to what you want to find, what you're looking for, what your hopes and expectations are, why you continue to practice. So, do you have any comments? I loved your talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's delightful. I'm going to put that in my column of goodness. (laughs) What did you like? Um, That I've been a little bit in a situation of having to decide what is happening now. And um, it just feels so wonderful to come here. I had told Maureen, someone told me I should go to um, the UU because people are more involved with social justice work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell them, but but I really I really need to hear this beautiful message again and again. I mean it's just so real. I can't even say anything more than that except for Maria, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Oh, you know, when when I opened this I said that I had been inspired by the people asking me the question, what do you get out of this practice? How do you know you're getting anything out of the practice? How long does it take? And, and just considering those questions left me with a, um, a need to reflect on, okay, so I consider this practice to have been transformative to me. Really, in what way has it been transformative? How, how is my life changed as a consequence of mindfulness practice, of all of the, the Buddhist practice? What, what things have changed? It's a very useful question. And as, as I was thinking about it, I realized there were many things that had changed. And relating it to practice is where it became important to be able to see, oh, this is where mindfulness shows up. This is, I had to ask myself whether everything happened on retreat because cataclysmic things tend to happen on retreat. Because you get very, very, very slow, and so you can look very carefully. But the truth is, the change of my life doesn't occur on retreat. It occurs with the people that I interact with. With the, it occurs with walking into my kitchen and noticing that I'm agitated and determining how I'm going to react to that agitation or be with that agitation, how I'm going to meet that agitation. And that that has been a result of mindfulness reapplied and reapplied and reapplied and reapplied. So... It's important to ask the question again, to ask yourself the question again. Why am I doing this practice? What do I hope to gain? What have I gained? How do I know that I've gained it? What do I discern that I previously did not see? 
How does being present for this moment enrich my life? Or does it just scare me? How can I be at ease in my life? How can being present lend itself to resilience? Because I develop the experience of seeing, oh, this is going to change. I'm not locked to the way it is. And I can contribute to the way it changes by the conditions I set for the next moment. Am I meeting the moment with gentleness or hostility? If I am feeling hostile, what do I do with myself? What stories do I tell myself? What are my mind habits? What do I see my trigger responses as? All of these things contribute over time. Not, not just to understanding, but how we are in the world. How we are in each moment. And it requires the stopping and the continuing. The becoming disenchanted and the moving on. We're not, we're not stopping permanently. We're just At this moment, we're noticing. Your talk has made me uh, reflect on um, your basic question, what am I getting out of this? And so my um, response is that uh, what I, the benefit for me has been to be able to discern or see my reactive emotions and, and then what to do about them. So the it's the really interesting thing to me is that it's not so much the lessons of how to skillfully manage things but just the practice of meditation seems to me to allow that mindfulness to be there not just not through some conscious effort but just it just kind of magically is there because of the practice, it seems to me. And so I become less reactive. I become more aware, able to step back, as you say, oh, what, what was happening with that? And it's much more easeful then for me and less scary. So. Just the, I, I, when you said, "Is it make it more scary?" I thought, "Oh no, it makes it much <laughs> less scary because I'm not feeling like I'm carried away by it and um, and on a compulsive path." Then it's much more easeful, and that seems to me just to happen because of having a steady practice of just allowing things to be there. Yes, it becomes a new default. Thank you. That's, that's very well put. Very well. That sounds great. You know, the, <clears throat> the reason we practice is to reset our default. Yeah. So that we're not running, just running, the random thoughts the rudderless thoughts. There's a time to plan, and there's a time to realize that you've planned something inconsequential far too many times. And to say, okay, there's enough of that. 
And then when it returns, you have the opportunity to say, I wonder why I'm so obsessed with planning that. Does it have to do with that? Or is it just easier to plan than to be here because there's something uncomfortable about this moment? Oh, really? Something uncomfortable about this moment? How do I know I'm uncomfortable? Now we're in a place that is richer. Now I can pay attention to, oh, there's discomfort here. What, what, ki- what else? What kind of discomfort? As opposed to off-planning, because I'm unwilling to look at this, which is not comfortable. Or I'm not willing to look at, this is really fun, but it could, it could stop, it could be terrible, so I'm not going to look at it, because then you know, if I don't pay any attention to it, I won't get attached to it. I won't, I won't really like it. It'll be okay if it's not there anymore. You know, there's a, there's a running away from things that is also things that are good. It happens. So we can see when, we, when we're in the habit of a kind of open awareness and we're looking through the eyes of our intentions then our mindfulness has a real connection to our overall intentions in life. So the intention you have of being a less reactive person influences your willingness to notice what your typical reactions are or when they arise. So it's not as if you're constantly Uh, vigilant, it's more like you're open for that because that's how you've inclined your mind. That's, That's how the conditions have been set. And you have a default of paying attention. How long does it take to develop that? 30 seconds if it's the, if it's something simple. Longer if you have to uncover those hidden mind patterns. So, are there any other comments? So, may you all see clearly may the moments of awareness in your life bring ease and equanimity to you and all of those around you. Thank you. Good night.